Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Do you ever feel like giving up? Do you ever feel like just just quitting? Do you ever just have a sense that you're drowning in despair? Well, that was where David, the psalmist, found himself as he struggled through circumstances in his life. We're fortunate that the Lord led him to to write that down, and it's been preserved for us by the hand of God, lest we think that Despairing is something unusual or strange for people who love God. So if you ever felt like giving up or quitting, here's some obvious news for you. It's probably not the first time and it definitely won't be the last time. That follows us through life at different junctures, different times, sometimes almost predictable, other times unpredictable. So I want us to look at Psalm 13 today and focus on a question the psalmist asks, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Dealing with despair. As you're turning to Psalm 13, I want to tell you about a man named Phillips Brooks, who was a preacher in England in the 1800s. Someone walked by the doorway of his study, and he was rapidly just pacing back and forth, back and forth. The friend stuck his head in the door and said, Phillips, what's wrong? And he said, I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. That's the heart of where the psalmist is. So let's look at Psalm 13 today, and you can follow as I read it aloud. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the many ways that your inspired and infallible and inerrant word speaks to us. I thank you for the way it intersects with our hearts, with our circumstances, our relationships. 
So, Father, today I pray that that we would meet you at that intersection of our circumstances and your word, and that your word would prevail. And for anyone here or online that is despairing, I pray your word would be like a lifeline thrown to them. So, Father, I do pray that you would speak through me. Because unless you speak through me, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes when you're reading the scripture, there are, there are verses that kind of jump out at you because they, they appear to be out of place almost. Here, the psalmist is despairing before God. He's honestly opening his heart and transparently gushing forth with emotion. Uh, you, you get this sad sense that he's drowning in despair. Then you read verses 5 and 6, and it's almost like a worship service. I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Charles Spurgeon says about this chapter, the psalmist begins sighing and ends up singing. That's the way God tends to work. In our sighing, he gives birth to a song. So first of all, I want us to look realistically at where the psalmist found himself by walking through those initial verses. First of all, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? You see, feelings can fiercely falsify your focus, can't they? Think about what the psalmist has asked. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Let's stop there. This is the God who has the hairs of our head numbered. This is the God that knows you by name. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you are the recipient of eternal life through Christ by faith in Christ alone. You are known by God, and God is known by you. And here the psalmist asks the question, Will you forget me? Well, why would he pray that if he had correct theology? It was his emotionology that was driving him at that point. And perhaps that's the way you and I have found ourselves. God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Have you just put me over here and are you ignoring me? The reality is his eyes are upon you and he can see you even when you can't see him. And then the next question, forever, God, how long will you forget me? Forever. 
Well, the reality is that would be an exaggeration at best. But our emotions do that, don't they? Our feelings can falsify things about God to us, and we begin to believe our our feelings more than the facts of God's Word and the reality of His presence. And although that's inaccurate, it is very real for a person who is in the midst of that misery that they're experiencing. So just keep that in mind that, that our feelings can falsify our focus and create some despair. Secondly, circumstances can confusingly misinterpret and misrepresent God's silence. It can cause us to look at our circumstances and begin to believe that God is not present, God doesn't care, His silence indicates His absence. Notice what the psalmist says next in verse 1. How long will you hide your face from me? See, the reality was, God was silent, but God was not absent. And if you forget everything else I say today, remember this, God's silence does not mean his absence. There are times we don't feel his presence, but his presence is no less real. It's not unreal because I can't feel. It's real because of who he is. But the psalmist is, again, having a blurred perspective. How long will you hide your face from me? That's a common phrase in the scripture. The words, God hiding his face, imply his displeasure and his lack of favor upon a certain person or their sin. When Aaron pronounced a blessing in the book of Numbers, he he said, may his face shine upon you and give you peace. Every child wants the face of their parents to beam and to shine with favor and approval much more so the child of God. The hiding of God's face would be a turning away. Now think about the words of 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek what? My face. What does that mean? That means you're seeking God's favor Not that you are expecting it or entitled to it, but you're turning from all sin, that verse goes on to say, and repenting and turning to him that his face might shine upon you. But here David is in circumstances where he doesn't feel God, he doesn't sense his presence, he feels 
forgotten and abandoned by God, and, and he makes the assumption that God is hiding his face from him. Now, the reality is there are times in our lives when God hides his face from us. He cannot look upon our sinfulness in that season of our lives, and, and there are times I need to search my heart, and I need to do that daily. I need to come clean before God. I need to be right with Him. Although I am saved and in a relationship with God, I still need to avoid broken fellowship with Him. However, there are times that God becomes silent to stretch us and to grow us spiritually, and it has nothing to do with a sin in our lives. Because God's silence is not always the result of sin. Then there's a third thing we can draw from this psalm. Look at the first phrase in chapter, I mean, in chapter 13, verse 2. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? For the third time, he begins with the words, how long? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Here's the third thing that's very important to understand. Internal, emotional conversations can utterly exhaust you. What have you been saying to yourself lately? How do you talk to yourself? Don't look at me like you don't do that. You may not verbalize words, but you have these internal conversations with yourself. And here the psalmist referring to an emotional internal conversation in his heart that seems to be exhausting him. Have you really listened to yourself lately? Perhaps when the psalmist reread what he wrote, he was astounded at his feelings and what he had expressed. But the reality is sometimes you can be the worst company you can keep. Sometimes you can be the worst counselor that you have. One thing the enemy loves to do is isolate us from godly counsel, to, to turn inward and to begin to condemn ourselves and begin to criticize ourselves and, and beat ourselves down with things that are completely inaccurate about us and negate the very things that God says about us. So sometimes those internal conversations, when they get viciously emotional, they can be utterly exhausting. And you came here today to feel better, maybe. But the reality is this should make us all feel better. To understand 
David, the man after God's own heart, would experience the depths of what we have and are at times. And so he prays, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? And then the fourth, how long? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Here's the fourth reality. Horizontal perspectives can hauntingly deflate you and devastate you. Here's David, beaten down, emotionally enslaved to his feelings. Here's the man after God's own heart whose very heart is struggling at this moment. And when he looks at his enemy... His enemy seems to be being exalted. Now, have you ever looked around you and thought, what use is it for me to live for God when they have all that going for them without him? Why are they being exalted and lifted up, and I seem to be being pushed down and crushed. That's what the psalmist seems to have been saying. He's having this horizontal perspective where he is looking at his enemy, and he is deflated and devastated by what he sees. You know how that is. We can be completely content until somebody gets something that's better than what we have or something that we would like to have or someone that's not as deserving as us is recognized. So one of our biggest problems is looking around when we should be looking up. We make these unfair comparisons and judgments about each other and ourselves and And when we just get stuck in the mode of looking around, we forget to look up at the one who is in control of all things. And the psalmist seems to have been locked into this horizontal perspective. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Well, how do you get out of that? How do you climb from the valley to the mountaintops? How do you move from the depths of sighing to singing, pouting to praises? Notice what the psalmist does in verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord, enlighten my eyes. What was he doing? He's doing what we need to do in that situation. Acknowledge your need for clarity amidst anxiety and confusion. Acknowledge your need for clarity. He doesn't just say, God, would you clarify this for me? God doesn't owe us an explanation, but notice how the psalmist approaches the Lord his God. 
Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes. The one thing we need not overlook here is that he was still talking to God. If you miss that point, you've missed the whole point. The whole point is he's still talking to God. He's not lowered his view of of who he is. It's still uh, that form of title of Yahweh, the highest of the highest of the highest. Consider me and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes. He was saying, I have a great need here. I have been ranting and raging out of control here, but but I need your help. Consider and hear me. Now, if David didn't think God was hearing him, why was he praying? It wasn't that he needed God to hear him. He needed to know that God heard him. Have you ever been there? Where you, we use the phrase, they're, they're getting no higher, our prayers are getting no higher than the ceiling. Or the heavens seem like brass and my prayers don't get through. It's not a matter of whether or not God hears us. It's whether or not we have the assurance that he hears us. Now, for a believer in Christ, we have the assurance from 1 John chapter 5, I believe it's verse 14, where it says, now we have this assurance that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, the psalmist, in light of all that he's going through, is, is beginning to turn his heart toward the will of God, and he's saying, Lord, consider me and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes. What was he saying? I'm, I'm struggling with perspective here. I'm, I'm, I'm out of focus here. I, I need your help. Would you enlighten my eyes? Would you give me some hope and assurance that you hear me? And, and would you do that by enlightening my eyes and helping me to see this differently than I currently see it? Consider, hear, and enlighten. You know what he was shouting to God? God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. Would you consider me? Would you please hear me? And could you please enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death? You know what he's saying? This is about to kill me. I mean, this has just taken the life out of me. The enemy seems so overpowering. When I look at at the enemy, I, I look like I'm going to be overwhelmed, overcome, and I will sleep the sleep of death. Would you please enlighten me, he says. So we acknowledge our need for clarity amidst those thoughts of anxiety and confusion. But then 
He goes on there in verse 4. And we learn another truth from this passage. Identify the depths of your disillusionment. And why do I say that? Well, you can say, well, I'm, I'm having a bad day. I'm kind of down in the dumps, so to speak. I, uh, I've got the blues. Uh, we make light of it. I, I'm, I'm fine. The psalmist doesn't do that. He acknowledges and identifies the depths of his disillusionment. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. What's he expressing there? His concern is that God would consider him and hear him and enlighten his eyes lest he sleep the sleep of death. Uh, there, there's a fear of dying in the midst of this. Lest my enemies say I prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. You know what he was really fearing there? He had a deep-seated fear of failure, didn't he? He had this fear of falling to his enemy and failing God. He was the leader of the people of God. He was at the pinnacle of visibility among the people of God. They were looking to him for guidance and for leadership. But yet he is feeling inadequate and overwhelmed and drowning in despair. And so he comes to the Lord and he's expressing here, I, I don't want to fall to the enemy because for me to fall to them is to fail you. His ultimate concern appears to be that he not fail God. I have a phrase that I've used with my boys a lot because it's something I would want to hear. But when they go through something that appears to be a failure, I try to always tell them, I'm disappointed for you, but I'm not disappointed in you. Here the loving Heavenly Father is hearing the prayer of the psalmist. He's hearing the cry of his heart. And the, 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 the heart of the psalmist appears to be saying, I, I don't want to disappoint you. It wasn't all about what David did for God or didn't do for God. It was all about who he was in his relationship with God that enabled him to do what he did. In a sense, he's trying to reconnect with God lest he fail him. So I have to acknowledge, acknowledge my need for clarity when I'm overcome with anxiety and confusion. I have to identify the depths of disillusionment. Then I also need to focus on the faithfulness of the Father. Here's where the song comes in. Here's where uh, the tense begins to change here. He's 
uh, talked about the, the present feelings and emotions he has. He's talked about the future fears that he is fleeing from. But now he turns with a past tense perspective in his praying. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. What begins to happen here? He has an upward perspective by looking back at God's faithfulness. It's not about my enemy anymore. It's not about my heart and my conversations with myself. It's, it's not about my issues. It's all about your mercy and your salvation. You see the beauty of that? A good way to gauge where you are spiritually is where your prayers are focused. Are your prayers turned inward or upward? Are they me, my, and mine, or yours and you? You see the picture there? But I have trusted in your mercy. The word mercy means unfailing love. In the New Testament, we come to understand mercy as God withholding that which we deserve, that judgment that we deserve, God withholds because of his unfailing love expressed to us in the person of Christ. One of the clearest pictures of mercy and its description is found in Romans 6, 23, where it says, the wages of sin is death. If you sin, you earn the paycheck of death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you come to experience that? You were living under the wrath and condemnation and judgment of God. You were headed toward a, an eternal death separated from him. But when you turned to Christ and you embraced him as your Lord and Savior, you moved out of death and darkness to life and light. What an amazing picture that is. We deserve death, but God in Christ has given us eternal life through him. That's his mercy. So when you begin to look at the first part of the psalmist, you kind of get the impression that he's viewing God as being mean, perhaps. I heard someone once say in the depths of their despair or in their lamenting, which this psalm would be a lament, they said this to God, God, I know you're not mean, but today it really feels like it. It's just a feeling. It's a blurred perspective. But now he's not talking to God as if he was mean. He's talking to God as if he was merciful. Uh, the mist has been to be, begun to dispense and disperse. And he begins to see clearer now. Haven't you found that prayer can do that? What I try to muster up in myself, what I try to glean from other people, in just a few moments of prayer and entering into his presence, everything changes not about my circumstances, but everything changes about my heart. And in reality, it's not about the hurt. It's all about the heart. 
And so he focuses on the faithfulness of the Father. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. It's in your hands, God. Just like it's been in the past when you've been so faithful. I have trust in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. What he was saying is, I will watch and see how you deliver me, and then I will praise you for that. So he's focusing on the Father's faithfulness rather than his foe's fearfulness at this point, or his foe's fierceness. Then the eighth and final thing, allow the providence of the past to produce praise in the present. Allow the providence of the past to produce praise in the present. Notice verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What's happened here? The psalmist has rediscovered his song. Have you ever lost your song? Have you ever stopped singing to the Lord and singing about Him and making melody in your hearts to the Lord? Have you ever lost your song? Well, here the psalmist rediscovers it. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What was he doing? He was allowing the providence of God in the past to produce praise in the present. The providence of God from the past can produce praise in the present in the worst of circumstances, can it? And much praise has been born on the precipice of despair. And so here today, we draw strength from something written centuries and centuries ago. I will sing to the Lord. You see, he's making a decision here. I will. I have talked to you, God. I've trusted your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I I will sing to you. My heart shall rejoice. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And they're on the precipice of despair and destruction. His song returns. He he resurfaces, resurfaces from the drowning of despair around him. There was a man named William Cowper who lived in the 1700s. We know him as a great hymn writer. But if you knew him then, you would have known him as a man tormented and troubled constantly through his life with depression, and despair. 
we've gained strength from his phrasing at times. Have you ever heard someone encourage someone with these words? God moves in mysterious ways, which means God moves in ways that we don't understand. God moves in mysterious ways. That actually came from a hymn that he penned and a poem that he wrote. In his poem, it says, God moves in a mysterious way. That became what we know as the title of that hymn. But originally, the poem was entitled, Light Shining Out of Darkness. Perhaps a much better title, but maybe not as catchy. In 1773, William Cowper was struggling. He was writing again to express himself and to keep his perspective on God. Not long after he penned the words to light shining out of darkness or God moves in a mysterious way, he even attempted suicide by drowning after penning the words of this poem, but unsuccessfully. But the reality was, even though he didn't drown physically, he was drowning emotionally and reaching toward heaven for hope. Let me read these words to you that John Newton made available in 1773. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Behind a frowning providence, God hides his smiling face. Two songs written from the depths of despair, 
One, definitely inspired by God. The other, definitely an encouragement to us. So this would be my encouragement to you. Stop just talking to yourself. Even stop listening to yourself. Start talking to God. And allowing him to speak. And allow him to engage your emotions with the truth. And become shaped by fact, not by feelings. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.